I'm going to read to you Psalms 132, and I want to talk to you about the joy of worship and eight promises that God makes to people who worship the Lord. Now, we've had a few extra elements in this service this morning that we don't normally have, so I'm going to ask you to maybe give me about five or ten minutes longer while I preach so I can finish this message this morning. In Psalm 132, the psalmist wrote, Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. I know you got an extra hour of sleep last night. But how many of you have ever been tempted to sleep in on Sunday morning? Be honest. Been tempted to say, like, I could just sleep in and I could watch church in my pajamas this morning. You ever been there? Maybe you were there this morning. How many of you have ever been tempted, like, why? I've been so busy this week. I really don't want to go. Anybody ever been like that? I mean, don't feel bad. I've had mornings where I'm like, I don't want to go preach this morning. I think I'm going to call Corey and tell Corey to preach. It's just that natural thing, so much going on. This has been one of those weeks for me, but I was eager to get here. Of course, I could hardly sleep last night after watching the Georgia-Tennessee game, but we won't talk about that this morning. He goes on, we heard that the ark was in Apaprata. We found it in a district countryside of Jair. Let's go to the sanctuary of the Lord and let us worship at the footstool of his throne. Arise, O Lord. And enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests be clothed in godliness. May your loyal servants sing for joy. And for the sake of your servant, David, do not reject the king you have anointed. The Lord swore an oath to David with a promise he will never take back. I will place one of your descendants on your throne. And if your descendants obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I teach them, then your royal line will continue forever. Now, we know they didn't, and so because they broke covenant with God, God could not continue covenant with them. And until Jesus came, the son of David, the son of God, and that's the reason those genealogies in the gospel are so important. And so Jesus literally fulfills those prophecies about the son of David, and he sits on the throne ruling today. And all of those that have come to know him, those promises are ours as well. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He has desired it for his home, and this is my resting place forever. And then we looked at that. That's not about relaxation right there. That's about God being in control, God's authority. He said, I will live here, for this is the home I desired. I will bless this city. I'll make it prosperous. I'll satisfy its poor with food. I will clothe its priests with godliness, and its faithful servants will sing for joy. And I hope as you sang this morning, you literally sang with joy to the Lord. And here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people, and I will clothe his enemies with shame, but he will be a glorious king. In biblical theology, one of the things that we learn is a lot of the things, and Hebrews addresses this, the book of Hebrews does, and Jesus even talks about this, a lot of the things in the Old Testament or a type or a foreshadow of what's going to be fulfilled by Christ and how it's fulfilled in his people. 
And if you remember, going all the way back to the time of Abraham, God made promises to Abraham that were for the whole wide world. In Israel, the Jewish people were to be a blessing to the world, and they have been. It's through them we receive Christ, our Messiah. It's through them we receive the covenants or the word of the Lord. Paul goes into great detail about the blessing of the Jews and how that now there is no more difference in Christ between Jew and Gentile. We are one in Christ. So what we do when we read a psalm like this, it's not like the Lord is my shepherd where it's real easy to apply those, those symbols to ourselves we look at a psalm like this and we say, how does this apply to the church today? And last week, and I'll be brief, we looked at this one point. Last week, we learned in worship, we experience victory as we worship the Lord. We learned that as we worship God, there is an element and there's a dimension of victory that we walk in. Psalms 132 and verse 7 says, let us go to the sanctuary of the Lord and let us worship at the footstool of his throne. And I used the illustration last week that heaven is where God's throne is. The earth is where his footstool is. And if you remember, I sat down here and kind of relaxed on the risers. It's not about God resting or relaxing the way I put my feet up in my lazy boy while I watched the ball game yesterday afternoon. It's more about this is the place of God's dominion, the place of God's authority where his feet are at. Some of you will remember this, some of you won't, and that's okay. The, the illustration is what's important, but old Pop Spear, who used to sing with a group called the Spear Family, Pop Spear wrote a song called Write a Message to the Devil on the Bottom of Your Shoe. I had the privilege of meeting them and hosting them, and, and I asked him about that song, how it came about. It came about a difficult time that he and Mom Spear were going through, and he literally wrote a verse of scripture on the bottom of the sole of the bottom of each shoe of his because he read in the Bible how that we are the body of Christ and all things have been placed under Christ's feet, and therefore they're under our feet. So he wrote two verses of scripture that applied to the challenges they were facing, and he said, I was literally walking around with a message on the bottom of my shoe, devil, you are under my feet, you are not going to win this battle, you're not going to win this victory, and that's the story behind that song. And so the footstool represents where God's dominion, his authority, his power flows out to people who worship him. If you'll skip down, and again, we looked at all this last week, but just kind of in review, Acts 7:49, there it once again it's repeated, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And the way we welcome his presence, his reign in our lives is by worshiping him. And so that's why it's so important, why I've been emphasizing this lately to our church and my emails, and, and I appreciate people getting here in time for the Word, but we need to sing and we need to worship together. And I know stuff happens. Becky and I raised four children. As a pastor, we, we were there early, and there were times when babies would puke on our clothes, and we still had to change and be at church early because of things that would happen but we knew it was important to worship together, to be a part of the body of Christ. Because when I worship, I'm making a commitment. Secondly, I'm making a commitment when I worship the Lord. Now, sometimes I say to Becky how much I adore her, how much I love her. When she gobbled, gobbled, gobbled up there this morning, I liked to have lost it for the first service. I, I was prepared for what was coming, but I didn't know y'all were going to put that blooper up there. And I 
I just love, but I adore her, her wittiness and her, her spontaneity and her freedom. She's like that in everything. And one day I was praying about that, and I said, Lord, it's like sometimes I almost worship Becky. I adore her so much. I want to feel, I want to experience that same thing with you and prayer and praise and worship. Open my heart, God, so that I experience the fulfillment of that commitment that I've made to you like I've made to Becky. And I've always honored that commitment. And in our marriage vows, not only do we do the traditional vows, but we wrote some things for each other. And one of my commitments was, I will not only be faithful to you with my body, I'll be faithful to you with my mind as well. And so as we worship the Lord, there is a commitment of love that we're looking at. God reestablished that covenant that he's referring to in Psalms 132 through Christ, who is the ultimate, listen, the ultimate obedient son of David. He reestablished that covenant with us so that you and I become the people that can experience that covenant. In Psalms 132 in verse 12, look at this. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Now, this is an important verse of Scripture because it's foreshadowing something that's coming. It's not, there's not going to be another Messiah. There's not going to be another Christ. But God has other sons and daughters this morning, and that's those of us who have been born again. God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within our hearts, the New Testament teaches, and therefore we cry, Abba, Father, when Andrew was born, I was sitting in the hospital, and I wrote out this little thing, Dennis and son, and then all of a sudden, I wrote, Dennis son. When Christopher was born, I did the same thing. It was Dennis sons with a S, even if it wasn't particularly correct. And then when Benjamin came along, it was Dennis sons. And then when Amy came along, it was Denison's and the princess. And trust me, that's how she's lived. We are sons and daughters of God. So as we read this verse, they're sons also forever. Do you not realize that the Bible teaches that you and I will rule and reign with Christ forevermore? Can somebody say amen this morning? That's God's call upon our lives. That's how it's being fulfilled. You see, freedom isn't sufficient for living a fulfilled life. Freedom isn't sufficient for living a purpose-filled life. I love freedom. I love liberty. I love the 4th of July. And to quite frankly, I think we celebrate the 4th of July here in Michigan much better than we celebrate it back in my hometown of Macon, Georgia. There's just something about the way Michiganders celebrate the 4th of July you learn if you have a trampoline, at least we learned in our first year of living here, if you have a trampoline in your backyard, you take it down, you put it up because it's going to have holes burned in it from all the fireworks the next day. But liberty is not enough. I'm free to go almost anywhere I want to with my car. But if I abuse that liberty, I could kill somebody else or kill myself. I'm free to visit and to see the world from the screen of my computer and, and through the internet. I can visit any place in the world I want to visit. And, I can, and I'll use as an illustration something I did this week with the computer. But it's amazing to me how that we've used that freedom without dedication. Because liberation without dedication leads to desecration. 
Liberation without dedication leads to desecration. And God has set us free from sins, not that we can live lives of license, but we can live lives free to serve Him. If we leave our life of sin, but we don't cleave to the Lord, we're like the parable Jesus told about the man delivered from a demonic spirit, but because he didn't follow Christ, then seven more wicked spirits came and inhabited him, and his estate was worse than what it was before. You see, there is an element of consecration that is called for. You see, if we live lives of consecration, we don't melt down in life. Instead, we not only grow, but we build others up in life as well. In his book, The Social Animal, David Brooks did a study or wrote of a study that was done with 157 children that wanted to play a musical instrument. And at the beginning of this study of all 157 of these children, they studied them through their growing up years and their adult years. They were asked one question, how long do you think you will play? Some of these kids said, well, I'm going to play two or three years. Some of them said, I'm going to play and hopefully get a scholarship and so I can go to college and I probably won't play. But there was a third group that said, I want to be a musician for the rest of my life. And those kids that made a consecration, those kids that took the time that was liberated for them to study music and for them to learn to play, they soared past their peers because they were using their freedom to become what they wanted to be, what they wanted to be for their whole life. That's what we mean by being passionate followers of Christ at Woodland when we say celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. We're not trying to persuade you to become a member of Woodland Church, although that's a good thing. We're not trying to persuade you to live a good life, although that's a good thing. But we want you to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ, the kind of followers that Jesus said he would bless, the kind of followers that Jesus said he would make more than overcomers, but the kind of followers that would take up their cross and follow Jesus. My oldest son and I were walking together just recently. About mile three of our walk, he said, Dad, do you remember what the cross, and we were talking about a cross on a steeple that we saw. He said, do you remember that time you talked about the cross and, and how that it's like an electric chair around our necks? It's like a hypodermic needle. I go, yeah, it's not just a piece of jewelry. But when we wear a cross, as meaningful as that is to us, remember when you look at that cross, it was an element of torturous crucifixion so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. We wear it as a sign of devotion. We wear it as a sign of commitment. But if we just wear it as a piece of jewelry, we've missed what it's all about. Christ has set us free. I may stumble, you may stumble, but God will never let go of us. Therefore, it's important that we build our lives on the, rock of G on the rock of Zion, which is Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you in a moment about Zion and why that is important. Not long after Becky and I were married, my dad built a new, another house. It's a large home, beautiful home, built it on three acres of land and spent all kinds of money on the foundation of this house. 
And one day, one of the contractors said to me, he says, your dad's spending a lot of unnecessary money on the foundation here. He says, I, we don't have to do all of this. He says, nobody else's home in this neighborhood has the kind of foundation that your dad's house has. And I said, what is this neighborhood built on? He said, sand. I go, yep. I said, now, that's why my dad's pouring the money into this foundation that he is. And so sure enough, it wasn't long before neighbors started having cracks in their foundations, cracks in their walls. One neighbor had to have his house braced up with some sort of stuff they built up on the side. They had to come in and take the siding off. They had to come in and remove some things and rebuild the house. My dad's house, that never affected it because the foundation was correct. He understood that. My dad's house also, when everybody else had problems with stuff growing, my dad would go to the river swamps and bring in truckload after truckload of that muck of vegetation that had deteriorated and built it up to where on that three acres there were beautiful gardens and flowers everywhere you walked. And people often would come down and say to my dad, how did you do it? And he would talk to them and how they could do it, and he would help them do it. He understood the sand was never going to produce anything. The only thing I ever see growing on a beach is grass. The only thing I ever see growing on a beach is maybe some key limes if you're down in Key West. But if you want to build a life, you have to build a foundation. And the rock of Zion, Zion is not enough. We must have Jesus. How many of you are familiar in the Bible with the name El Shaddai, one of God's names, El Shaddai? Did anybody here growing up, do you remember hearing a song by Amy Grant called El Shaddai? You're dating yourself now. In the first service, there was one of the young men lifted his hands, and I said, you're not old enough. He said, but I was raised right. My mom and dad played that song all the time. You used to sing it in church. El Shaddai literally, as you know, translates into the mountain of God. Because in the mountains, God rules. It's from the mountaintop that his authority was, was exhibited. And it's interesting to me that the God of the mountain, El Shaddai, that there are several mountaintop experiences in the Bible where God calls for a commitment from people. Remember when... The, the, ark, the ark that Noah was in rested on Mount Ararat. God called Noah and his family out of the ark and says, you've got to take time now to trust me and to rebuild a whole new life. I will be with you. I will bless you. You remember Abraham at Mount Moriah where God said, Abraham, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your reputation and even your son and God stopped him from sacrificing his son as a foreshadow or a type of Christ coming to die for our sins. You remember Moses at Mount Sinai. The people were terrified. They said, Moses, you go talk to God for us because the earthquake and the fire as the presence of God rested on the mountain. And the people were terrified and they backed away from the mountain there. But there God gave them his word and said, if you live by this your lives will be blessed. You'll be healthier. You'll stand out among the nations as a blessed people. I will prosper you. I will make you successful. And then there was David at Mount Zion, and that's a wonderful story because there was this period of time as a foreshadow where the Ark of the Covenant, the, the people could just come before it before the temple was built. 
And therefore, we read this verse of Scripture in verse 13. The Lord has chosen Zion. Psalm 132 and verse 13. The Lord has chosen Zion, and he's desired it as his dwelling place. Would you say that with me this morning? Read it with me. The Lord has chosen Zion, and he's desired it for his dwelling place. Let's do it again. For the Lord has chosen Zion, and he's chosen it for his dwelling place. Now, if you know your neighbor, say it to your neighbor. Just look over at your neighbor and say, the Lord has chosen Zion. Come on, John. The Lord has chosen Zion, and he has desired it for his dwelling place. Now, again, it's a type. And you're going, wait a minute, Pastor, why is that so important? Because the book of Hebrews teaches us that Zion is a place of singing. Zion is a place of rejoicing. Zion is a place where thousands of angels are gathered and the souls of those that have been made perfect are those that have died and gone on to be with the Lord. That Zion is the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. That God himself reigns there. That Jesus is there. And there in that heavenly Zion, the body of Christ, that God dwells and inhabits his people, God's footstool where he rules and reigns is in the hearts and the lives of his people. It's not this building, it's you and I that are the body of Christ. It's Christians around the world who don't just worship him in name only. The reason covenant that God couldn't honor the covenant with Israel is because God's people no longer kept the covenant. They had a form of godliness, they still went to the temple, but they didn't worship the Lord, they didn't obey the Lord, and so God could no longer keep the covenant with them. But you and I, as we worship him, it's why the Bible says Zion is a place of singing and that Jesus is there, the mediator of the new covenant, whose blood covers the mercy seat. Now listen, and we are invited to come boldly into the presence of God and make our request. I'm thankful that I grew up in a Christian home. I'm thankful that these things I was taught from my childhood but I'm discovering more and more people are so ignorant of what God's Word says about them, and Christianity becomes a part of our life rather than our life. Some Christians are living the way Thomas Merton did before he committed his life to Christ. Thomas Merton grew up in an atheist family. His mother died when he was young. His father traveled for his work, and he took Thomas with him wherever he went. Thomas didn't even know there was a Christ. He didn't even know there was Jesus. He'd never heard about Jesus. And they went to a place called Saint Antoine in France. And it's a beautiful city. You've probably seen it in some movies. It's just gorgeous. But it's kind of built like Detroit. You know how Detroit is a wagon wheel? All the roads lead to the hub downtown. Well, all the roads lead to the church there in the center of the city. And there young Thomas was captivated he didn't know what a church was. He didn't know what a church was for. He didn't know what Christ was. And later when he gave his heart to Christ, and he, he tells his testimony and his story, later when he gave his heart to Christ, he said, suddenly I realized that what I saw in St. Antoine 
where the church dominated the city, where the church was the center of the city. It's Christ who is the center of life. And he wrote these words. It is Christ in the midst of the church who alone holds our world together and keeps us from being poured headlong into the pit of our eternal destruction. Friends, that's why it's so important that we learn to worship God daily as Paul teaches us in Romans 12. I'm proud of my hometown. Very proud of my hometown. I'm, there's a birth certificate. I couldn't lay my hands on it. Becky probably knows where it's at. But there's a birth certificate that says, I was born in Macon, Georgia. My wife was born in Macon, Georgia. My children's birth certificates say Macon, Georgia. We're proud of our own. I, I love it when some of you and I get these kind of text messages and pictures and People, when they go through Macon on their way to Florida, some of you have even stopped and visited there and go, oh, Pastor, your hometown is so pretty, the Antebellum Homes, and Sherman missed it on his march to the sea, and, and, and it's all there. It's, still, it's just a beautiful city. It makes me feel good when you send me those pictures, but I am so much happier that my name is written down in heaven and the Bible says this in Psalms 87 and 6, that when you're born again, like Merton was born again, God registers their names in his book. This one, this one, this one, born again right here. And when John told you this morning he committed his life to Jesus Christ in this corner of the church, Easter 2018, there God wrote John's name down in the book of heaven. Yes, I'm glad I have a birth certificate that says Macon, Georgia. You should be proud of where your birth certificate is from. But be even more grateful that your name is written in heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's what he's saying. In 1 Peter 2.6, the scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone, in this cornerstone... It's a foundation we'll never have cause to regret it. So three points in the verse of Scripture I want to make to you here. One, I'm only as strong as my foundation. Remember my dad's house. I will build my life on the virtues and truths that Christ lived and taught. Remember Jesus' parable of building your house upon the rock. He was saying, build your house upon my teachings, and then when the storms of life come, your house won't fall. Your life won't collapse. How many of you have had a storm in your life? Can I see your hand? Yeah, I think every one of us in here have had a storm. And then thirdly, I am joined with the body of Christ by the love of Christ. You're a part of something bigger than yourself, bigger than your family. You're a part of something bigger than the United States and bigger than all the world's nations together. You're a part of the body of Christ. You are also like living stones, so let yourselves be used to build a spiritual temple to be holy priests who offer spiritual sacrifices to God he will accept those sacrifices through Jesus Christ. I was preaching in Europe, and one night, Becky and I spent the night in a castle. We'd always wanted to spend the night in a castle. Now, she's got her story, and I've got my story about the castle. So after I've told my story, you may want to talk to Becky. I don't ever want to spend a night in another castle again. It was cold. It was damp. It was clammy. It was suffocating to me in that castle. It just, I like wide open spaces, and Becky loved that castle. You know, she was living out a Walt Disney tale. I was Prince Charming, and there we were, you know. Anyway, we were in this castle, and I remember walking around and looking at all of these stones, and this thing was built like in the 1200s, and 
And as I got to studying castles, I remember one of the pastors said, let me take you to a living castle. And I said, what do you mean living? He says, they call it living because they began the construction right out of the rock of the foundation that was there. Everything that's built, it's not, it doesn't have pylons driven down. It doesn't have anything supporting it. It was built on the rock. And it's on a river bluff, and it's a beautiful castle. And they call this castle alive because it's built right out of the rock. Still stones, and you and I are like that. We are the living body of Christ. Which brings me to the last thing. Because of that, you and I can trust the promises that God makes to his worshipers. Now, if you remember earlier this year, I preached a series on the promises of God. Some of them are conditional. Some of them are unconditional. And we won't go back through that this morning. But here's what's important. You don't earn the promises. I don't earn promises from God. I don't earn. It's not being good enough. It's not being pure. I'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. It's God's mercy in our lives. It's God's love for us. Same son. He's teaching his boys how to save. He's teaching his boys how to invest. And so proud of him. And we were talking about lessons that they learned by Saving, easy for Becky and I to give them things, but we taught them how you could get what you want by working hard and saving and learning how to invest your money. And he's teaching those concepts to his kids now. He said, it's kind of a change. They're used to just coming up and asking Dana or asking me, and we just kind of dish over the cash, and now they're having to learn to manage cash, and they're having to learn how to save. He says, it's that... That, that next step, he says, but they're still earning it from me and from Dana. And he says, so we let them know because of what, how God has blessed us, we can bless them, we can help them. We're not talking about earning like that. We're talking about the promises that God makes to people who worship him. So let's look at this passage, and I'll go through them real quickly. This is my resting place forever. I will live here, for this is the home I desired. I will bless this city and make it prosperous. I will satisfy its poor with food. I will clothe its priests with godliness. Its faithful servants will sing with joy. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointed one will be a light for my people. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but he will be a glorious king. Eight promises that God makes here. One, I will live here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is peace. There is power. There is comfort. And we are liberated so that we might be dedicated. Can you say amen? Number two, I will bless and make prosperous. In other words, he will multiply what God has given to us. He will multiply the bread. And God has already begun to do that in many people's lives in our church. Thirdly, I will satisfy her poor with food. Do you remember that verse of scripture Jesus said in Matthew and the Beatitudes? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
That was to rich people as well as to poor people. That was to people who recognize, I have nothing if I don't have Christ. I have nothing. Look at me. Don't miss this. I have nothing if I don't have Christ. That's why there are so many rich people who have a bundle in the bank, but they're still not satisfied. They're still singing Mick Jagger's song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Because they've got stuff in this world, but they're not satisfied. Recently, one of my grandsons said to me, Papa, do you know any billionaires? And I go, yeah, I do. And I was telling about some of the billionaires I know. And he says, Papa, do they fund your ministry? And I go, no. I says, I've never asked them for a thing. But here's what funds ministry is people like your mom and dad, like grandma and I, as we are faithful with our tithes and offerings, God is faithful to us. You see, you can't sing with joy. You can't sing and live with happiness. You don't have peace in your heart until Christ is Lord of your heart. But God doesn't impose his presence. God doesn't say anything in his word that I'm going to force you to do this. You have to choose to follow Christ because you love Christ. There are certain people in our church that invite Becky and I into their home. Some of those homes are quite expansive and some of those homes are quite small. They always say the same thing. They say, Pastor, please make yourself at home. And don't tell me to make myself at home if you don't want me to. Because then I kick off my shoes. And I was having dinner with one family, or we, our family was having dinner with one family, and the meal wasn't ready, and I sat down with her husband, and I fell asleep. So they let me sleep. A few minutes I woke up, and I was kind of startled. I didn't know where I was at, and then I remembered where I was at, and I got up, and I went in, and they were just getting ready to sit down. I had slept for about a half an hour. That's what I call make yourself at home. And God is saying to you and I, where he finds a welcome and worship in our lives, God will make his home there. I will clothe her priest with godliness. That's prevailing power. That's not only God clothing us with, the, with, with forgiveness of sins, but giving us the power to prevail over sin. Her servants will sing with joy. And then I will increase the power of David. Say power with me right there. Power. That word literally is horn. Now, that you'll read that a lot in King James Version. Honey, you, if you will, come on up. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. But oftentimes, the horn was used as a symbol of power, like the horns of a bull that would gore his enemies, or the horn of a ram that would gore his enemies. So I looked up this week, and I don't recommend this. It was interesting, but it was it was gory. I looked up this week, animals battling with horns. And I watched as, as buck elks and deer, they rammed each other. I watched a rhinoceros with his horn turn a vehicle over, rip that door up. I watched these powerful animals moving because it made real to me, God is saying, not that I'm going to give you a big horn, 
but I am going to increase the power of the church that worships me. I'm going to increase the power of a family that worships me. And then he says, I will have Christ as the light of my life. That's a fruitful life. We teach our young people, God gives you a ministry. Every one of us gives us a ministry. We want to help you discover it. We want to help you develop it. We want to help you dedicate it. And then we want to help you display it. And we're not trying to help you platform your ministry for your vanity or for your ego. We want you to see how God can make his light shine through you and your talent. But boy, it's a shame when you only do it for a few years through fine arts. Or you only do it through a few years because you were elected to an office. But when you say to yourself and to the Lord, I want to live as a passionate follower of Christ, your light begins to shine. The brilliance of your light begins to shine to others. I walked into my study, I woke up a little extra early one morning this week, about three o'clock, and I walked into my study, and it's kind of foggy-headed, but I was awake, and something was on my mind that I wanted to pull the scriptures down and just look up, and I flipped the light on, and I thought to myself, Lord, that's how I want to be. I want the light to be almost blinding. And I know this is going to sound silly, but I hope it resonates, and I hope you don't forget it. But for me to say this at 3 o'clock in the morning, that was a pretty big deal. I said, God, you really do turn me on. You really do turn me on. Your light shining through me. And then God says, I will clothe her enemies with shame. God wants to give you victory in every single area of your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Some of you that may be here or some of you watching online, you may have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you in just a few minutes to, to make that commitment. Remember this cross I talked about a few moments ago? The reason God came was for you. There's not a person that God doesn't love. There's not a person that God doesn't want to save. And you're watching either now or you're watching later this week because something in you has kept you here. And that's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. And even if you don't give your heart to Christ today, my prayer is you're going to think about what I said this morning because these promises, they can be for you as you follow Jesus. And so I'm asking you today, will you do what I did, what others in this room have done? Commit your life to following Jesus Christ with all your heart. So would you pray with me right now? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I want to live for him. I want to honor him. I want to worship him with everything that's within me. So as much as I know how, I'm committing my life to you today. I want to be liberated so I can live dedicated to you. Father, I don't want my life desecrated by sin. 
but I want my life transformed by your love and by your power. So give me a fresh start, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. The lyrics will be on the screen. Let's sing this song together this morning. Exalt the Lord our God. Exalt the Lord our God. And worship at His footstool. Worship at His Exalt the Lord our God. Exalt the Lord our God. Exalt the Lord our God. And worship at His footstool. Worship at His place where your feet rest. My prayer is that your power and dominion will be extended through your people. Your blessings of love and peace and joy, your blessings, Lord, of holiness will be manifested in our lives. That you will clothe us in godliness so that we're not only saved from our sins, we're kept from sin, Lord and increase the power of your people as we live and we move in Christ Jesus, I pray. God, be kind to your people, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Please come by and greet me on the way out. I'd love to meet you before you go. joining us today for Woodland Church on our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.